Welcome to another exciting episode of NIDS Knowledge, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. Each week, we inform you about a deterrence topic and its value in preserving peace. We hope you enjoy this show. Aloha and welcome to another exciting episode of the NIDS Knowledge, a weekly show by the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. I'm your host today, Curtis McGiffin. I am the Vice President for Education here at NIDS, as well as a co-founder. And today's show is about the five purposes of a nuclear deterrence strategy. This lesson is my own, but it's inspired by the former Ambassador Raymond Garthoff, a deterrence thinker from the Cold War era. The cogent design and application of efforts to achieve deterrence requires learned thinkers who understand how deterrence should be actionized. That is to say, implemented. It's important to note that deterrence is both a strategy and a resulting condition. Deterrence, in this sense, is both a verb and a noun. In other words, we do deterrence strategy to achieve a deterrence effect. No one-size-fits-all formula can be used in every situation where deterrence is needed. Deterrence may be a simple and natural strategy, but it poses conceptual and practical challenges during its implementation. First, I want to remind you of my definition of deterrence, which I've shared in previous podcasts, which is deterrence is the condition made or maintained by deliberately expressing a credible threat designed to shape an adversary's perception through fear of consequence or failure. Now, again, to say to achieve this condition, we must devise and implement a strategy. Deterrence does not just happen. It is a contrived act meant to realize a deliberately conceived end state. So five purposes or lines of effort are necessary to create or ensure a more successful attempt at achieving a successful deterrence. So the first one is that your strategy must be able to determine and detect the existence and magnitude of a potential attack threat. Now, we do this in multiple ways. There is strategic warning like long-term intelligence gathering, uh, the use of, um, of spies, and other methodologies of, a, of long-term assessment to determine if a threat is being constructed. We also have tactical warning. A tactical warning is the actual detection of a launch, the actual surveillance of, of, a, of a gathering of weapons or massing of troops. And tactical warning is generally handled, at least in the nuclear side, through a concept called dual phenomenology, which is where we utilize satellite detection and compare that to a land-based long-range radar detection. And so the combining of these two systems gives you a more positive review of what is potentially going on with regards to a potential launch. Is it just the satellite is being duped, but the radar is not? So dual phenomenology 
is one of those where we would want to see a confirmation both in space via satellite and from the ground via long-range radars. That's part of the tactical warning. So item one, we have to have the ability to determine and detect the existence of a potential threat. The second one is to acquire and possess an effective retaliatory capability and capacity to deter attack. Now, I've gone through in a previous podcast um, the differences between capability and capacity in the vitamin C's of deterrence. But what again, where we, what this is, is that we must understand that we have to design and deliver a sufficient nuclear arsenal to ensure a successful deterrence effect. This effort supports the 2022 Nuclear Posture Review's, quote, deterrence by cost imposition, unquote, or what I have defined in the past as deterrence by punishment. And so, again, we must have the ability to acquire, right, develop, purchase, and deploy, which is also to possess this effective retaliatory capability. This is essentially our triad and the ability to have the numbers of ICBMs and bombers and submarine launch missiles capabilities that would then for be the deterrent. Third is to smartly organize and effectuate the strategic and regional nuclear deterrent. This is the planning, practicing, and perfecting of nuclear deterrence operations, the force posture, the nuclear surety and safety, and, of course, the readiness of all of the people who are engaged uh, within the, de- the nuclear deterrent enterprise. And this all together ensures a credible retributional threat. It's different strategically, which is here in the continental United States, for example, than it might be in a regional nuclear deterrent, say in the European theater. Those efforts might be a little bit different. And so your lines of effort must account for those. So let's move on to number four, which is to coordinate damage limitation approaches and capabilities. We have to be able to design and deliver a sufficient capability to support the 2022 Nuclear Posture Review's deterrence by denial and missile defense goals. In addition to missile defense, these endeavors might also include air defense, civil defense, anti-submarine warfare, and even the possibility of preemptive strike policies and doctrine. Additionally, these damage limitation approaches may also include the 2022 Nuclear Posture Review's deterrence by resilience. This might include both cyber and space redundancies, their defenses, and other efforts to survive not only a nuclear attack, but endure and reconstitute after a nuclear attack might occur. So the fifth and final line of effort or purpose for nuclear strategy is to institute methodologies that manage escalation and or avert major war. And that is to say that we have to be able to design and deliver policies and doctrine meant to A, prevent actual conflict, or B, keep a small conflict from becoming a large war. Policies like the 2022 National Defense Strategy Integrated Deterrence seeks to orchestrate all of the instruments of power and the tools of the DIME, which is an acronym for Diplomacy, 
information, military, and economics to enforce either strategic ambiguity or coercive diplomacy. Escalation can be either horizontal, which means to spread beyond the geographical boundaries or domains of a conflict, or vertical, which would mean increasing the intensity or type of weapons or targeting, like progressing from a conventional war to employing weapons of mass destruction. The threatened use or the fear of eventual use of nuclear weapons can often cap escalation for fear of a broader war. We'll discuss that theory more in a future NIDS Knowledge podcast. So let me conclude here by saying, deterrence strategy is the art and science of garnering, employing, and communicating the resources and goals of war-averting national power. The five lines of effort, or the purposes, that described here today are a reasonable roadmap meant to capture, consolidate, and continue the efforts of deterrence for deterrence. Thank you very much for listening today, and I look forward to our next opportunity to be together. Thank you for listening to NIDS Knowledge. This show is produced under the NIDS Podcasting Network, a division of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. NIDS is a 501c3 organization dependent upon donations to provide this podcast and bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. You can catch all of our podcasts or provide feedback at thinkdeterrence.com. I would like to thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative NIDS knowledge. A production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies.